Ciao e benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy. I'm Kimberly Holcomb, and I'm here with my co-host and producer, Tommaso. Ciao, Belladonna. Ciao. So, we've got some news. That's right. Super exciting news. The Prime Minister of Italy announced she's open. By mid-May, or more likely mid to late June, Italia è aperta. Filamente! Andiamo! (laughs) He's gesturing with his hands. You can't see that, but he is. I can do that. I'm half Italian. (laughs) I can speak with my hands. Welcome to our next episode on Lago di Como. Lake Como. There's so much to say about Lago di Como because... È bellissimo. (laughs) That's correct. That means it's beautiful. It truly is beautiful. It's like a double dip of beauty. A glacial lake surrounded by these snow-capped mountains. And then you throw in the uniquely Italian colors of these villas dotting the mountains. There's this deep purple lavender color of wisteria. The green tones of both palm trees and cypress trees. It's like a visual overload of beauty. Incredibile. And just a few facts I want to share with you. It's the fifth deepest lake in all of Europe, with the top four being in Norway. It's the third largest lake in Italy, with Lago di Garda and Lago Maggiore being larger than Como. And both of those lakes are incredibly beautiful in their own right, but there's just something magical about Como. It could be the history. That's part of it. And I love sharing a bit of history with every place that we discuss here because when you are there, you'll remember what I might have said. And all of a sudden, you find yourself walking under this colonnade archway and think, oh, this is from the fifth century. I think it makes people appreciate the culture all that much more when you know a little bit about the history. So Lago di Como has a lot of history and people have been drawn there since Julius Caesar's day, believe it or not. The Roman Empire, people went from the crazy, insane city that Rome was and still is, but in a good way. Getting eaten by lions and... (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That was so tiring. So they would escape to Lago di Como for a bit of tranquility and beauty. None of that, you know... um, No blood and guts. Yeah, what do you call the movie with... Gladiators. Gladiator Gladiator stuff. (laughs) In the Colosseum. So people have been flocking to Lago di Como forever. Even a pope had a summer residence in Como. His name was Pope Innocenzo from 1676, and his family built a summer residence called Villa Odescalchi. So everyone's been going to Lago di Como forever. The lake itself is shaped like an upside-down or an inverted Y, with the village of Bellagio being in the middle and the villages of Menaggio and Varena on either side. All three of these are stunning and worth a visit. And Bellagio being the most popular, I'm sure you've heard of it, but it's quite crowded in the in the full season. But when you do go to Bellagio, off-season or on-season, you have to walk up the most famous Salita, which means the walking street, and go to Enoteca La Principesa. And Enoteca is a little wine store, and that name means the princess's wine store. So you find Enoteca La Principesa, because they sell these awesome little grappa cigarettes. 
They're not cigarettes, really. Booze and, <laughs> yeah. booze and tobacco. No, 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 no. They're not combined. Double a dose. <laughs> They're just little vials made to look like a cigarette, and they ah. fill it They fill it with grappa. With grappa. Right? So my friend Lorenzo bought them for my nephew and his wife when they were there on their honeymoon six years ago, and they got a, a parting gift of grappa cigarettes. And when they came home and told us about their their honeymoon on a Skype call, they said, and look what Lorenzo gave us. They open up this little cigarette pack, take the top off and shoot back a hit of grappa. <laughs> back a hit of grappa. <laughs> and, and, and Bellagio on her first trip, back then when it was my first trip to Lake Como with you, um, we had this incredibly wine-filled lunch outdoors and it was early April and I remember all the wisteria because I kept reaching for another antihistamine. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful, but you know, luckily, luckily, the beauty and the food and the wine overwhelmed my need to sneeze and my eyes watering. Oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> Bellagio and the whole lake is actually incredible with wisteria, the like April through early June. Anyway, that was a lovely day, wasn't it? It was a beautiful day. A lovely. We still have those pictures, as a matter of fact. That's right. Well, back to the grappa for a second, because this also plays into another lunch we had on that on Tomasa's first trip to Lago di Como. Grappa plays a big role in my association with Como, and I don't even like it. <laughs> but you have to drink grappa at certain places like this restaurant called Alvalu. It's a very long story, but they serve a grappa that the monks who live on the top of the lake, the northern, northeastern part of the lake in their monastery, they make grappa that they smash with blueberries. So the blueberries hide the harsh taste, but it's still just as strong, FYI. <laughs> so we had we had that grappa with the blueberries. At Avalu. So mm -hmm. Avalu was the like the second or third restaurant. I mean, we ate our way through the animal kingdom. And you everything. ate your way through the animal I did, kingdom. I did, I did, and I enjoyed it. Um, but we went to this restaurant, Avalu, which Kimberly had already all talked about a lot and, you know, prepared me for this, this lunch. And you go up about, you know, 2,000 feet and you've got a view out over the lake and... They knew Kimberly, and they still know Kimberly, and we were there with a couple of friends, and I think there were like six or eight of us, Ross and Teresa and Mickey and, and Berta and somebody else, and um, we had this beautiful long lunch, which- Like three hours. Like three hours, and it actually ended with grappa, mm -hmm. and it also ended with them closing the restaurant <laughs> and leaving the grappa the bottle. bottle. <laughs> on the table and and saying, we, we've got to go back and take a nap because we're opening up again at five right. o'clock. They even let us go into the kitchen and help ourselves to extra tiramisu. Yes, yes, they did. <laughs> but the view, you're sitting there, you're up 2,000 or 3,000, I forget how high it is. It's like you're at the top of a small mountain in, um, in New Hampshire, Vermont skiing, and you're just looking out over this amazing lake and you're eating this incredible food and drinking this incredible grappa. And I'm not a big grappa person, but um, I, found it, uh, I found it quite compelling at the time. To, to sit in a place like that and enjoy a meal with that visual beauty and the food you're eating, it's, it's hard, to, hard to beat. It is hard to beat. Yeah, so that's another uh, 
on the list. Alvalu. And just quickly to tell you what the name means, I asked the owner, Roberto, years ago, Que vuol dire il nome Alvalu? What does the name Alvalu mean? And he stopped. He had a tray full of food. You know, people are waiting for their, their dinner. And he stopped. And he goes, ah. And in Italian, he said, I mean, I'm translating, but he said, when you're on a boat and everything is perfect, the wind, the weather, and you're with friends, you sit back and you say, Alvalu. So right then and there, I thought, if I ever own a boat, that's going to be the name. And you did name your little yep. 23-foot so, sea sprite, right? Alvalu. So I have a boat named Alvalu here in Rhode Island, and no one can pronounce it. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> anyway, so Alvalu should definitely be on your list. And we'll go through a whole list in another episode of where to eat for both the food and the view um, all over the lake. But for now, back to the lay of the land, or lay of the lake, I should say. The main city, Como, Lago di Como comes from, it's actually not named Lago di Como, it's named Larius, but everyone just says the Lake of Como. So the city of Como is the main city, and it's at the northwestern branch of the inverted Y. It has a ton of history also. The city of Como itself had started elsewhere a couple of kilometers further south, and it was moved to the current location by Julius Caesar. Seriously, like that's so old. He had the plans drawn out for a typical walled city. Those walls are no longer there. But think of that when you're walking around the village of Como. I mean, Caesar died in 44 BC. Yeah, and he laid that whole thing out without CAD. <laughs> <laughs> Computer aided design just for because yeah. you don't know. So anyway, Como, quite old. More history. After Julius Caesar built it, it was taken over by Charlemagne at one point. They had these ongoing battles with Milan, the duchy from Milan, for decades. Then there was French and Spanish domination, some Austrian rule. And then finally, our old friend Napoleon Bonaparte, who you remember I brought up in our Milano episode. He's, he's around as much as Julius Caesar. That's right. His, yeah. They were busy guys. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he took over for a bit too. So think of all the influences this lake and the entire country, for that matter, has had. And technically, Italy was finally an independent country not until June 2nd, 1946. My birthday in 1946. Well, well no, you weren't born in 1946, but well, June 2nd is your birthday. <laughs> so it's fine. Being half Italian, I, I didn't actually know this until you pointed it out when we were doing research for See this episode. See how good history is? So now I can celebrate on my birthday... Uh, half of me can celebrate being independent. Anyway, it was recognized as the Kingdom of Italy until late 1800 to 1861. And, but finally, it became its own self in 1946. That's amazing. I don't think most people know that. You would think Italy had been around forever. I mean, as an independent country. Right. Well, Not nothing so. was independent in, in Europe. That's true. Anyway. They, all, they all switch sides a lot. It's a little true, little tidbit, which we found interesting. So back to the city of Como. I truly love it. I go all the time. And a lot of people choose to start there and stay for a few days and work their way up. If you only have time to visit Como, then do it. 
it's beautiful. They have a lot of open piazzas. You can sit and have lunch and aperitivos and look at the lake. And those open piazzas closer to the lake are the more touristy ones. If you work your way back into the small roads, like away from the lake, that's where you'll find the real locals and enotecas, those wine bars I described. And there's also um, a funicular, a funicula, funiculare, as they call it in Italian, that goes from the top north side of the the city of Como to a mountain called Brunate. And it it has an incredible view. You can see the lake, you can see the pre-Alpini, which is what these mountains are. You can see the Alps, French Alps, Swiss Alps. It's beautiful. But if you are going to go up the lake later in your trip, then you can forego this Brunate funicular because there's hikes and other funiculars further north where you see even more. And in Como, you have to see the Duomo, you know, me and my churches. This one was started in the 1400s and only took three centuries to build. I often think we're on a pilgrimage when we go to Italy. We have to stop in every church. But they're so worth it. They are beautiful. They are beautiful. Artwork, the mosaic floors. And this mosaic floor in the Duomo in Como? The Duomo Duomo in Como. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds us we have these Danish friends that came down years ago and... um, a bunch of couples, gay men, and they're like, homos and como. <laughs> Back to the United Nations. <laughs> anyway, the Duomo and Como has an incredible gray and black and white uh, tile mosaic floor, very geometric, worth the visit. Anyway, do Como, see Como if you can, visit it. But most importantly, if you have the time, work your way up the lake. And to get up the lake, my favorite way is to go by boat. They have all kinds of boats, large ones, fast, large, but not like American ferry large, you know, large-ish boats, faster traghetti, they call it, and then the small and slow ones. And those are my favorite. There's probably about 35 to 40 fermatas, you call a, a stop, a boat dock, a fermata. There's probably 35, maybe 40 of those on all three branches of the lake. And you can go each one, get off at each one, but the real issue at hand is you have to know how to read the schedule. The schedule, in Italian, is it's a hard word to pronounce, orario, but that's the schedule. You have to be good at like spreadsheet type reading. And I can't figure out the, the subways of New York, never mind this, so <laughs> I'd get lost right away. You have to be very conscientious while reading it because if you took a boat from Como, stopped in Menaggio, and then went across to Varena, and Varena is so beautiful, you want to spend the whole day there, if not more, then you go back to the boat dock, the Fermata, and there's no boat till the next day because you couldn't read that schedule. So have an Italian help you out there. But I love the boats, and that's what most people, how they see the beauty because Only from the lake can you see these villas. And when you start in Como, in the town of Como, and take the boat north, that's its starting point, basically. You take the boat north, and I love watching first-timers on the boat. The first stop is okay. It's called called Tavernola, which is kind of like a working little, quote-unquote, mini village. But the next fermata, the next stop is Chernobyl. And between the first and second stops, all of a sudden you see Villa Olmo, you see all these incredible villas. And I look at my friends or people you can tell it's their first time on the lake. 
their mouths drop open slowly, their eyes get bigger, and then you hear like, oh my God, this is incredible. It's so beautiful. Like, look at that villa. Look at that villa. Is that a private home, do you think? <laughs> and it's, They're all private homes. Right? And you, you see gardens from the boats. You see these villas' gardens. And the Italians are almost as famous as the English for their gardens. They're so beautiful. So taking a boat up the lake is just a dream. So the second stop I described, the village of Chernobyl. It's my favorite village on the whole lake mostly because of my long history with it, but it's so sweet and charming. Idyllic is the best word I can think of to to describe Chernobyl, and actually the entire lake. It's completely idyllic. But to give you a visual, let me describe what it's like when you get off your slow, small boat and land in Chernobyl. So this man walks out, the dock manager, boat man, whatever you call him. Dock master. Dock master. He walks out from this incredibly simple yet ornate structure, open-ended structure. It's this dark green metal and it has these vaulted roofs with arched windows. And it's it's like from a movie and out comes the dock master. Wasn't that the guy you always talked about? Oh, yeah. Hold on. I'm I'm going to get there. Ah. (laughs) And down walks the dock master. And in my day, his name, the, the main guy that was there all the time. His name was Ivan, not a normal Italian name, but he was Italian. And by the way, I've never seen a female dockmaster. This is a this is a man's job. Si, certo. <laughs> anyway, Ivan would come tie up the boat. They're so good at docking. There's no crazy tides and currents like the ocean, but these guys are good. It can be quite windy, and it's a glacial lake, so it's really deep, and the mountains cause a lot of wind, and they're good at docking. So Yvonne and the other guys would come down and tie the boat up, connect a little ramp, and then people would walk off. He'd give a nod to the men and every woman. He'd like do a little wink. (laughs) He was flirty. Winky, winky. He was awesome. (laughs) And you know, like the last time I was there two years ago, um, I went from my friend's house up on the hill to Chernobyl down to the dock because I had driven there. So I was going down to the dock to go up the lake to see some friends. And I thought, I wonder if Yvonne's still working. And then all of a sudden I hear, ciao, Bella. I was like, oh my God, Yvonne, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Memories run deep. Yeah. And we, you know, we were both significantly older and he still remembered me. So anyway, that's how lovely a boat talking experience is. But anyway, back to describing a visual description for you. You get off your boat and you start walking up this little pebbled passaggio, like a big wide walkway. It's not paved or anything like that. Little pebbly passaggio. And on either side are these gnarled trees. They're planed trees and they're unique to these lakes like Lugano in Switzerland, Maggiore. They have these gnarly looking trees that they prune each fall. So like these big knuckles And then all of a sudden in the spring sprouts these huge, big, beautiful leaves and they're geometric. They're, they're so ugly. They're beautiful. And they add to the wonder of this place. So you walk up Passaggio past these cool trees. Then in front of you is this, um, fountain where all the kids play and whatnot. But to your left, don't forget 
to your left is a gelateria that sells my favorite flavor, frutti di bosco, which means fruits of the forest. It's all kinds of berries and it's delicious. So you get off your boat, you get a gelato, you walk past the trees, you go up to the fountain, and what's to your right? Harry's Bar. Not Cipriani Harry's Bar from Venice. I actually don't know why they named it Harry's Bar. I will ask next time, but Harry's Bar, it's a must. It is the best place in all of Lake Como, if you ask me, to sit and have lunch outside, take it all in. And they're so incredibly nice and friendly and they they make you feel at home. Just ask Tommaso. They do, they do. So the story around this is I was in Milan working um, for this, for this fashion.com and I took the weekend to go see our friend Mickey the Dane, and uh, he was working on that Saturday over in Switzerland, so I decided to sit at Harry's and have lunch. I had this fantastic meal, caprese salad with incredible tomatoes and incredible mozzarella de bufala and beautiful, just stunning, and some wine and um, a nice pasta. And being in, you know, in the fashion space in Milan at the time, I had on a black pants, black shoes, black sweater, I don't know what color shirt and a black coat and probably a gray scarf because it was, you know, it was nice, but it was November or December. Anywho, um, so jet lag after the meal uh, had set in because I was running pretty hard during the week and um, a couple of glasses of wine, maybe more than a couple also (laughs) set in. So I went over and they have this little arcaded um, cloister there where there are arches and it was really nice and the sun was going down and it was coming in on it. So I went and sat there and all of a sudden I found myself really warm. And then I found myself asleep. And when I woke up, the people at Harry's bar had realized I was over there sleeping and had walked in and picked up two or three chair pads and a pillow and actually walked over and propped up my head uh, the drunk, I don't know if they, I won't say the drunk American, but the very tired American at the time. And I woke up and I was like, oh my God, how nice are these people? So I went back and had another glass of wine. And then Mickey came down and got you. Mickey, and, the, and all the guys from Harry's are telling him in Italian, like he was asleep over there. Like, <laughs> what kind of friend is this? Just kidding. No, it was, they make you feel quite at home. It was a wonderful afternoon. I, it was beautiful. You know, and it's been famous forever, you know, uh, from the 60s, the Frank Sinatras and all those Italian-Americans would go there. It has been forever famous. But then it kind of went under the radar until Giorgio Clooney bought a house up the lake. And he and his, you know, hot-smoking wife go there all the time. <laughs> kind of annoyed the rest of us. But anyway, it's still lovely. And that is definitely on the top of our list. So... Should I should I should I bring up my, our first trip to Chernobyl when you rented that big lancha? No, let's do that next episode when I discuss how to drive and how not to drive. How's that? See, okay. <laughs> There's some things I don't want to share right off the bat. <laughs> so anyway, after you have your little lunch at Harry's, you need to just take these little back roads. Um, they're street. They're technically streets, but only like a teeny Cinquecento can fit through there. So do be aware of that. But you take these little back roads between Harry's Bar, the water, the lake's on your right, and you just meander through these little teeny back roads. And there's a bunch of 
awesome little osterias. I'll list all those later. But there's also another really beautiful church, uh, Chiesa di San Vincenzo, definitely worth walking I'm gonna have in to there. Get, I'm going to have to get some choral background music for this. Right. <laughs> so little churches, little osterias, little shops, teeny beautiful buildings built right next to each other. And then you eventually meander your way up to the main road, like Main Street. And it's called Via Regina, which means the Queen Street. So it's it goes the length from north to south, parallel with the lake. But it's so narrow that only one car can fit on it. So what they have is on either end stoplights. So let's say it's like, what, a football field, mm-hmm. maybe a football mm-hmm. and a half field long, Via Regina, right in the middle of the village. So they have a stoplight on either side and just let the cars go one way at a time. That doesn't mean that the cars, you know, the Lanchas and the Maseratis and the Ferraris are driving slow. So they don't drive crazy fast like everywhere else. But you can't just think, oh, I'm going to walk out of the patisseria where I just had this lovely little, you know, brioche for breakfast with my cappuccio and then walk across and look in the window of the uh, shoe store across the street because you'll be a statistic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when you walk down Via Regina of Chernobyl, basically hug the wall on either side of the street that you're on. It's very cute. And again, it's idyllic. On the very north end of Via Regina, the end where the stoplight is, to the right on the lake is the world famous Villa d'Este. You've probably all heard of that. Used to be a private residence, blah, blah. But I could spend an entire episode on Villa d'Este's gardens alone, but we'll get into that later. It's a magical place, and I'll describe it in detail later, but right before Villa d'Este, and this is how I'm going to end this podcast, right before Villa d'Este is Villa Belenzaghi. Somehow, I was lucky enough to befriend several guys that worked, they were chiropractors, and they worked at a chiropractic clinic in Como. And this clinic was founded by a Belgian doctor, and he leased Villa Belenzaghi for 10 or 20 years. I had never heard of anything like that, where you lease a villa, but he did. How, how big was Villa Belenzaghi? Oh, it's not huge compared to the other villas, but... I don't know. Three really? story. I think it was it's th- three, stories. three or four stories we were there. And uh, it was I, pretty, I would say, say it's probably 15,000 feet. Yeah, probably. Just the house. And Just, then there's the grounds. And, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, um, this doctor uh, leased it and he had it renovated to perfection, not the exterior, just the inside. And personally, I had never at that point in my life been in anything like this. It was simple, but stately and just incredible. So this doctor, Jean-Pierre, had started dating this woman and and I think she lived over the border in Switzerland. So he never lived there (laughs) ever, but he was super generous. And he let this American chiropractor named Mark live on the top floor, which probably had been the servant's floor. And luckily for me, I was really good friends with Mark. <laughs> so the next thing you know, I'd be, uh, I'd take the train up or I'd ride my bike up from Milano on the weekends and I'd ring the Citofono. And you remember Citofono from the Milano episode, it's like the doorbell. But since this was a villa, their Citofono had a little uh, video attached to it. So I'd ring the Citofono outside of these huge gates, metal gates, and the 
staff that worked there would see me and I'd hear, ciao, Kimberly. And then, boom, the gates just open really slowly. <laughs> and I walk down this long, curvy drive through these grounds. And I get to the villa and the doors open. And the people that worked there were from Sri Lanka. And I had never met a Sri Lankan in my life. They are the nicest, kindest people. And the wife, I, I forget her name, she'd come in and she'd make me fresh squeezed orange juice every time. She knew I loved it because, like I said before, their juices are incredible. So I'd chat with them for a while and wait for Mark to finish his like yoga and meditation and all the crunchy things he did. Awesome guy. So I would walk through the villa and my favorite room was this library where actually Jean-Pierre let me do a fashion shoot for um, the magazine Grazia. I did a shoot in there a couple times, but anyway, so I walked through this library because it just took my breath away and I'd look at everything and then I'd take my fresh squeezed orange juice and I'd walk out onto the terrazzo and I'd look to the left up north and I'd see Villa d'Este and the gardens and the docks. Villa d'Este has these long series of docks where they have shows of, um, most are you call it a show, they have like regattas of those little wooden Riva boats. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a regatta as much as like a little boat show to show off all your restoration work and everything. And they're stunning. Yes, they're they are. the most beautiful boats. Yeah. Yep. So I'd look at those, I'd look at the gardens, and I'd look to the south toward Como and see all the other villas. And then I'd think to myself, well, I wouldn't think, I would pinch myself and think, I am standing on the terrazzo of Villa Bellinzaghi that was built by. Giulio Bellinzaghi, who was the mayor of Milan in like 18-something, 1800-something. And then he was a mayor of Como, too. So he built this villa, and I was lucky enough to stand on it. And I was lucky enough to be friends with Marc and Jean-Pierre and be able to stand in this place on weekends or anytime I wanted. And that's when I thought, thank you. Giulio Bellinzaghi, thank you, Jean-Pierre, thank you, Mark, and thank you, basically, all of Italy for being so incredible. So you can get some orange juice, have your back cracked, and enjoy the weekend at Villa Bellinzaghi, all in one. It's a win-win situation. <laughs> so more Bellinzaghi stories to come in future episodes. And actually, Lago di Como is so incredible with such a variety of things to do i think it's going to take two or three episodes because it's not just all about these amazing villas there's these walkways that have been restored from ancient paths you know from hundreds of years ago and the italian, thousands of years thousands ago. of years ago thank you the italian government has uh invested in them and they call them funny enough greenways an english word there are hikes, there are the Greenway Pass, there are all kinds of boating things to do, and refugios that you can sleep in overnight on all the mountains around the entire lake. So lots to talk about. We'll get there in another couple episodes. So grazie e ciao ciao.